Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Until recently, pregnancy fashion was something of an oxymoron. It's one of the small cruelties of fashion that pregnancy, i.e. a time when many women feel at their most womanly, can also be the point at which women are least served by brands. But a growing group of pregnancy-compatible labels is seeking to change that. I'm Emily Cronin, and this is Fashion Unzipped. Thanks for listening. With me in the studio are Charlie Gowns-Eglinton. Hi. And Sonia Haria. Hello. Today we're talking about the cruise shows, a movie star's cut price beauty secret, and how to stay stylish during pregnancy. But first, the royal wedding may have happened more than a week ago, but that dress is still a topic of conversation in the fashion industry, and it's causing problems for at least one designer. Amelia Wickstead has caused a kerfuffle by appearing to claim that the wedding gown worn by the new Duchess of Sussex was a copy of one of her bridal designs. A tabloid reported that Wickstead said, her dress is identical to one of our dresses, and... If you choose a simple design, the fit should be perfect. Her wedding dress was quite loose. Wickstead, of course, is the London-based designer whose romantic, mostly modest dresses have been worn by both duchesses, that's Cambridge and Sussex, a.k.a. Kate Middleton and Meghan Markle. And what makes this more awkward is that until the very last moment, Wickstead was viewed as a front-runner to design the gown. The dress everyone assumes she's alluding to is Wickstead's Helene gown, a long-sleeved, A-line, off-the-shoulder satin dress. Partly because Wickstead's bridal Instagram featured images of this gown along with the hashtag Meghan Markle wedding dress. Wickstead has distanced herself from the alleged comments, saying in a statement, I do not think that her wedding dress was a copy of any of our designs. I have the greatest respect for Claire Waite Keller and the House of Givenchy, a huge source of inspiration to me. So, what do you guys think? Any merit to these claims? I'm a bit uncomfortable with this. Possibly something was said behind the scenes, it was a private conversation. You know, Amelia Wickstead makes beautiful dresses and she is a very kind of credible, brilliant designer on the London Fashion Week schedule. And I think, you know, this must be awful for her brand to kind of have this blown out of proportion so much. We don't know if she actually said those things. We don't know if Amelia herself was, you know, Instagramming on her bridal Instagram page. I doubt it. I I imagine it was probably a social media manager. She was probably watching the wedding just like the rest of us, you know, while an intern was getting creative with hashtags. Or possibly said, oh, God, that's just like our Helene in a kind of disappointed way. Wouldn't it have been great if it was our Helene way? Mm. That's the thing is, I'm sure that this conversation, if it happened at all, was very 
personal and and off the cuff and and that these conversations must have been happening all over the London fashion scene. Not of people saying that's a copy of one of our dresses, but of people saying, oh, it would have been so great if she'd worn mine or, mm, you know, she, but um, I do hope that she's able to move past this quickly because I love seeing the royals in Amelia Wickstead. They always look so uh, regal in her designs. And I think almost every woman who wears them looks the same. Amelia, we're, we really feel for you. And by the way, I kind of think that she should have worn your gown. Yeah, it was beautiful. We really like the Helen. <laughs> we like the Helen. And I mean, I was on holiday last week, so I wasn't in the office. And, you know, although I was riveted to every bit of coverage, I have to say I had, I think, a slightly different opinion on the gown than than was aired in our Royal Wedding special. <laughs> Listeners, I was not a fan. <laughs> I loved it. You, I loved you it. You really loved it? I loved it. I thought she looked timeless and elegant. I thought... Boring. <laughs> I thought also she's she's very slim. So, you know, if it had been completely, you know, trimmed to her body, it, she might have looked too tiny in, in that kind of huge room and in the, on that scale. I thought it was really tastefully done. And so an extra few inches to allow. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel like it was a, it should have been a bit more fitted, but I did love the dress. Very elegant. I, I just beautiful. don't even relate to this at all. I'm like, I mean, the color was aspirin white. That yeah. is a color that you never, you don't even see it in bridal salons because it does no one any favors. In fact, Meghan Markle, with her gorgeous, luminous skin, she was probably one of the only people on the planet who could get away with wearing yeah. an, an aspirin white dress, right? The fit was imperfect. Somehow, someone didn't get her the right bra to wear under it. And, like, I know I have slightly different references than everyone else, but I just thought it was very like an ultra-Orthodox Jewish wedding gown like you'd see any day in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, or a Mormon temple gown. <laughs> you know, there are these websites that sell what they call temple-ready gowns, you know, where all the right stuff is covered. And it was it was just this like slash of tipex. But I have to say, I don't want to sound cruel because I was completely won over by this wedding. I thought, of course she looked beautiful. She would have looked beautiful in a burlap sack. So my objecting to her dress is not objecting to her or how she looked. And they were so happy. And I'm such a fan of this of this couple now. I just wish she'd worn the Stella dress. Her, ve- her veil was incredible. Yeah, the veil was something else. I think the thing is, with a really classic dress, you know, that that is a silhouette that we have seen hundreds of times before. Yeah. We've seen kind of... From the 1950s, we've seen throughout the Givenchy archives, you know, they've been sharing a lot of the early references and people have been quick to kind of pick up on Wickstead's alleged comments and kind of say, oh, no, it looks just like this from Givenchy or there's an Audrey Hepburn dress that, you know, is uncannily similar by Givenchy. But the problem is with these dresses, you know, as you say, we all come to it and see something else because you see what you your own kind of memories of that kind of dress. Emily, you see Orthodox Jewish Wedding. Mm. Someone may see Audrey Hepburn. Amelia Wickstead may have seen her brides. Exactly. You see what you want to see. And at the end of the wedding, we saw a very happy couple stepping into, you know, a newly made-over eco-jag. And what could be better than that? In other royal wedding news, Sonia, you heard something about the wedding decor that didn't have to do with flowers or page boys or gowns. Yeah, so it was revealed last week that um, Diptyque, the Paris-based fragrance house, had scented the wedding. So they uh, they haven't said exactly which of their candles were sort of in the chapel, but they have been able to say that it was a nice mix of spring fresh floral candles. 
And it just made me think, I mean, is this a new thing? Is scenting weddings or scenting the space, it feels like quite an American thing. It kind of makes sense though, right? I Mm. mean, one of those chapels, you've got a lot of old wood happening in there. (laughs) (laughs) It could could smell a little bit... A lot of sweaty priests. I mean, a lot of people associate that smell with kind of going to church as children or, you know, that it's quite a positive association. But for some people, you might just walk in and smell wood. Well, you do hear about um, women choosing a a new fragrance for their wedding day because scent memory is so strong that if you use a a scent on your wedding day, then every time that you smell it, the the thinking is it'll it'll almost transport you back to that. I mean, I guess that most of us just get the scent from the flowers, right? Yeah. I mean, actually, when I got married four years ago, I did have my favorite candle in the whole reception. You know, I had sort of eight dotted around. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> now we know where they got and, the idea. <laughs> and we now have one in our um, in our bedroom on the windowsill and it reminds us of, I mean, if we ever light it, and it was quite an expensive candle, so we don't light it often. Um, but it just reminds us of the wedding day. It's, you know, it is one of those really magical, special things. It was an interesting choice, I think, diptyque scenting the space because it's a sort of Parisian fragrance house. And... Kate and Wills went for Joe Malone to scent their wedding, um, which is obviously a very sort of British brand, and it was the Orange Blossom fragrance by Joe Malone, which is reportedly the Duchess of Cambridge's favourite scent. Um, I like that one too. Yeah, it's very lovely. But, you know, I feel like Diptyque's a very fitting brand for, for Meghan Markle. You know, it's slightly a bit more insidery. It's a little bit, it's quite chic lovely French brand. We shouldn't be surprised that she's gone French here. She went French with the dress. Exactly. Which is why we were all so taken aback when she wore Givenchy because we just weren't expecting it. We thought it would be a British brand. Totally. Megan may be something of a Francophile. Back in fashion land, many of our colleagues are out of the office this week travelling between cruise shows for Christian Dior, Louis Vuitton and Gucci. Cruise collections, which land in stores around November to fill the gap between autumn-winter deliveries and spring-summer collections, have become increasingly important to luxury brands, partly because they stay on the rails for longer than their main season equivalents, and partly because they offer unparalleled branding opportunities. In the past few years, brands have whisked loyal customers and lucky editors to Japan, Cuba, Brazil, and this season, the south of France. Lisa Armstrong is on the phone from... Well, Lisa, where are you exactly? I'm on the croisette. I am literally on the croisette in Cannes. I've just put my feet in the Mediterranean. Amazing. <laughs> that, is, that sounds like a perfect place to be, especially compared to... Well, actually, it's way too hot for me. I'd much rather be back in England. And I've been in my room all morning writing, but I thought I couldn't leave without dipping my toes. It's pouring with rain here, Lisa, so you're not missing out. Oh, thank out. you, Charlie, for making me feel better. <laughs> but it poured with rain here yesterday. And... Um, it was amazing because apparently there's a rumor that Louis Vuitton used a shaman to get their weather good. And um, the same shaman that apparently Harry and Meghan used. So the rain held off for the show, but not the party, the after party that was on a lovely roof terrace. So everyone huddled inside. Aww. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I bet you feel really sorry for us. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad I'm not there, let me tell you. Um, but Lisa, it seems like you've like you've seen some incredible transporting shows lately. I mean, given that it's fresh in your mind, can you tell us your your impressions and takeaways from Vuitton Monday night? Vuitton, um, was, for me, it was really interesting combination of art and fashion. I think you've got to be pretty confident as a designer 
to show your clothes among sort of leger and Miro statues and the Fondation Mike in, in the south of France, which is where it was. It's, it's, you know, it's an art mecca. But actually, his clothes really work in that context. I'm not saying they're art, but because we all know his, his clothes are quite loud and bold and intricate and very, very worked. And um, they're not always easy to wear, but um, they really did look brilliant against all those statues and, and sort of installations. So, Lisa, let's travel back in time. Um, tell us about yes. Dior and that amazing spectacle. Oh, my gosh. That was really, that really was fabulous. It rained over, over Dior as well. But, okay, so she was inspired by these Mexican horse-riding women who, when you Google pictures of them, they are extraordinary because Dior's called it a rodeo, but it didn't really look like rodeo to me. It looked like dancing horses, and they're very, very agile. But the women wear these incredible full-length, voluminous skirts, lots of embroidery, amazing big-brimmed hats. So I think the idea was that, you know, these are incredibly strong women in every sense, but they're not sort of surrendering their femininity. And when you look at the silhouettes in the show, obviously less exaggerated, but it was very much there. And what she did that was so great, I think, was that she made it all so light. So all these full um, skirts were just made from frilled tulle and embroidered, very, very light touch. The bar jacket was in cotton and sort of had no um, no sort of internal construction really that I could see no padding, none of the stuff that was there in when it was invented in '47. They, they just looked like great jackets that you would want in your wardrobe, and some of them were tweed as well. It was stunning, I thought, and also very very dreamy clothes that you sort of fantasize about, but also that you could imagine wearing if you had the money. It was so gorgeous, those those jackets with the big tulle skirts and, and of course all the hats. Oh, I really loved it. I wanted to be one of those yeah. one of those Mexican Escaramusa riders after seeing that show. Yes, yes. Me too, on one of those greys. I mean they were fabulous. It was all it was all gorgeous. I mean, if you want to know the the, the sort of the backstory to make you feel slightly better about not being there, it was a two and a half hour drive from Paris because of the traffic. I mean it was only about thirty miles. But unbelievable traffic and a lot of sitting around. And in fact, this whole week has been lots of sitting in traffic because the south of France is just one long traffic jam. But this season, <sighs> this season of cruise shows, I mean, it's all relatively local. Like in the past, you've been to Japan and Cuba and Brazil. Yeah. How is it being closer to home? Apparently, I think Maria Grazia Curie did want it to be in Mexico and uh, and that got vetoed. Um, I mean, yeah, it's amazing to go to all those places, but you end up, you know, flying for two days, you know, one day there, one day back, and then you might spend two days there, and the jet lag is quite brutal. Um, so I, I've really enjoyed this. I have really enjoyed being <laughs> in one time zone. I'm now leaving to go to Arles, which is another long traffic jam away. <laughs> <laughs> um, to see Gucci, which everyone's saying is in a, it's going to be in a, in a graveyard, but I think that's just wishful thinking. Read more about the Vuitton show in the paper and online at telegraph.co.uk slash fashion.
So is it just me or don't we just all love Drew Barrymore? She started this hashtag on Instagram, Beauty Junkie Week, which seems to be spanning several weeks, but whatever. Um, uh, And she started it a while back and the pictures are totally unfiltered snapshots of her bathroom cabinet. Quite frankly, that's all I'm ever really interested in seeing, sort of geekily zooming in on beside the sink products. Um, there's also snaps of her using products, giving honest reviews, no arty flat lays, no face tuning apps, no nonsense. And she's just posted about her love for Batiste, which is cheap and cheerful, pound fifty dry shampoo. You know, she sort of says how she packs it in her um, evening bag and she's just kind of really passionate and geeky and none of it is sort of hashtag sponsored, which is great. But it got us thinking how refreshing it is to see someone in the public eye honestly raving about budget beauty products. I, for one, love Carmex. I mean, it's like two pounds, really good lip balm and I, I use it all the time and I think it is much better than more expensive versions of you know just a basic lip balm what about you charlie what do you like i love pawpaw actually so it must be that lip balm is we're all gonna fight over cut price lip (laughs) balms now because i'm i'm an eos girl well because i am australian at at root so yeah you're a fake australian we know Uh, that i was was born there i lived there till i was seven so i can claim quite a good inning my dad's name is bruce that's very Australian. Um, so I can claim pawpaw as my own. Um, but obviously, you call it pawpaw in Australia, but it's papaya um, yeah. fruit is what it's made from. And it's just this great whack it anywhere balm that I always have in my bag. And it's good on flights. You know, I put it on my eyelids. I put it on my eyebrows, cuticles, any patch of dry skin. It's a bit of a cure-all product for me. Well, I think one of the great things about Drew Barrymore is that she has been this this real champion of budget beauty. I mean, she was one of the first celebrities to to launch a beauty brand with Walmart, I think. Yeah. Um, her flower beauty is sold there. I think it's wildly successful. And and, and really good products, apparently, which is, um, you know, quite nice that a celebrity puts their name or, you know, is quite heavily involved in a in a brand that people actually really want to buy rather than it just being sticking a face on a product and that's it or having Mm. some association slightly off the hollywood scale but mary berry also is a massive fan of e45 cream buys it by the bucket load and drew barrymore's not the only person who indulges in a bit of dry shampoo victoria beckham and gwyneth paltrow love chlorine dry shampoo which is a lovely Uh, french pharmacy one. one yeah i have to say actually that does beat Baptiste for me. Well, it doesn't have the white residue. No. And also it's better if you've got dry hair, I think. Yeah. And you can get a brunette version, which Mm. is genius. My latest budget beauty must-have brand is um, CeraVe. It's like this little French pharmacy brand. You can buy it from Boots. It's just launched, I think, two months ago. It's hugely successful in the States. um, But you can pretty much get really good quality moisturizers, cleansers, face wash, you know, body wash, all for sort of under £15. And it's great. I mean, I love, I'm definitely willing to try a budget thing on my body more than on my face. And I love the Vaseline intensive care, like spray moisturizer. Oh, yeah. It's quite innovative, actually, isn't it? Yeah, I like it a lot. It's, mm. it's, I mean, it's not doesn't feel luxurious, but it gets the job done. I was thinking you look very moisturised. Emily's got her arms out in the uh, post-holiday glow. Yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she has been abroad, so actually that doesn't count. Did maybe. misjudge the weather a little bit. So a lot has changed since the first time I was pregnant five years ago. Back then, I really remember feeling like 
your options for maternity dressing were very divided between cheap and cheerful or cheap and not so cheerful because some of it was just depressing and very expensive like Duchess of Cambridge style brands and I, I just couldn't understand how anyone would spend 400 pounds on a dress that they would really only be able to wear realistically for a few months. I'm now six months pregnant. You may have heard about it on a previous episode of Fashion Unzipped. <laughs> uh, and it's been, it's been really refreshing to kind of see how the maternity style landscape has changed in that time. So one of the most encouraging things has been the small but promising proliferation of brands that promise to dress women before, during, and after pregnancy. So instead of being strictly maternity brands, they are pregnancy compatible or maternity friendly or something like that. So I've written a feature for tomorrow's paper all about this, in which I submitted to a very embarrassing photo shoot wearing some of my favorite pieces. Um, Emily, I think you might have enjoyed it more than you're letting on. I've seen one kind of mid-air 90s Lacoste ad shot. The jumping shot was a secret. Thank you, Charlie. (laughs) (laughs) There's a jumping shot. There's a jumping shot. It will never appear in print. Amazing. Uh, but I mean, I, I'm sure that you've heard of some of these brands. I mean, one of them, the matriarch of the group is called Hatch Collection. It's a U.S.-based brand that launched in 2011. It's still the only maternity or maternity-ish brand on netaporte.com. And I have to say, like, this is a brand that I'm thrilled that I'm pregnant and I get to wear. And I, I really hope that I keep wearing it. The dress I'm wearing today is from It's Hatch. gorgeous. It's so nice. I mean, they're objectively cute dresses and like broderie anglaise tops and cute trousers. And and the founder says that it's just wasteful, basically, to buy something that you're only going to wear for a few months. And and she was telling me that at their sample sales, you get a mix of like 22-year-old design graduates who just love the brand and pregnant 30-somethings and then their moms who really go for the drapey silhouettes. And then... A couple of UK-based brands are Clarion Peg. They offer vintage-inspired, maternity-friendly women's wear, which is quite a mouthful, but that's exactly what they deliver. And Beyond Nine, which is a very concise collection of jumpsuits that have had major, major support from the Instagram influencer community, pregnant and non-pregnant. These are so comfortable. They're like being in your pajamas, but they're so much more put together. I mean, I, I now, after the shoot, I have two I have one that's made of, like, sweatshirt material that ties at the shoulders. And it just feels like wearing a cloud or nothing. <laughs> and a linen-striped one that I that I wore constantly in Greece last week. And uh, I thought I might feel like like a jailbird in it because it's, it's a bit of, a, you know, an all-over stripe. <laughs> but it, was, it just felt so chic and airy. It's a funny thing how your style changes when you're pregnant. Sonia, you have, you have a son. How did you well, feel I, about so maternity I style? Pregnant, I was pregnant two summers ago, which was sort of bit of a heat wave in Britain and I was quite heavily pregnant towards the end of summer so I couldn't find anything really that I liked on the high street I mean I had a few dresses from Topshop Maternity which sort of did the job but I feel like there was a compromise definitely on on style because you you just feel like everything I don't know I felt like when I was pregnant I just looked really big so I you know all the dresses I wore were just like just too much fabric and that sort of thing so I I actually at about seven months pregnant went to H&M and bought about four or five vest dresses in lots of different colors non-maternity just quite fitted dresses um and that's basically what I lived in for a few months <laughs> you looked great I remember you wearing these a lot of like kind of um 
almost Mexican-inspired, like, embroidered. Oh, yeah, good old Zara. And that wasn't anything from a maternity range. It was just stuff I wear on holiday and was a bit loose and sort of, you know, settled around the bump quite nicely. I did. My sister actually got married um, while I was quite heavily pregnant. So I did have to buy a few special maternity dresses um, from... I got one or two from Seraphine. Mm-hmm. Um, quite pretty, lovely, you know, um, floral dresses, which I wouldn't normally wear, but for a wedding was totally acceptable and lovely and, you know, really sort of sweet. But I found pregnancy dressing really difficult. It's hard to feel like yourself. Yeah, totally. When when what you're being shown are these, like, you know, button-down, belt-over-the-bump, wrap dress monstrosities. And a lot of quite kind of... I don't know what it is about being pregnant and looking for maternity wear. A lot of it feels like just over the top floral and really feminine and really soft and pretty. And, and mumsy. And mumsy, exactly. Which, I mean, you shouldn't be afraid of being if you're pregnant, but <laughs> no, no one wants to yeah. feel that way, right? But it's just, you know, where are the sort of chic, I need to have, obviously, hatched is where I should have been looking. But where are the sort of really lovely chic ordinary clothes that you want to wear non-pregnant and, you know, that would suit your pregnant style as well. Well, I think you've, you've sort of nailed it talking about going to the high street for non-maternity pieces that work for, for pregnancy dressing. The first time around, that was not an option for me. I was having twins and I remember feeling really <laughs> resentful when people were like, oh, I just went up a size in my white jeans. It's <laughs> like, I hate you. Please get out of my way before I run you over. But, it, you know, there are on the high street right now, especially like there's so many kind of nightgown dresses. I mean, Charlie, you're a big fan of summer Puritan dressing, and a lot of those dresses do have room for a bump. I mean, I haven't had a baby, but I do have a lot of large lunches. So. <laughs> <laughs> Can thing, recommend. I think the whole modesty trend actually has really opened up the kind of normal silhouette. And I think you did used to have to shop designer to get that kind of stylish slightly more minimal, slightly more androgynous shape. There are all these kind of beautiful embroidered billowing summer dresses around that used to kind of all be at the five, six hundred pound mark. So I think actually it's it's really exciting that the high street have kind of opened up to that aesthetic. And if you're not super skinny, some of them make you look pregnant anyway. So, you know, you may as well own it. I mean, one of the genius things that... um, that these brands have done, especially Hatch and Netaporte for Hatch, is they shoot all of their pieces on pregnant and non-pregnant models. So nice. like on the Hatch website, you can actually toggle a bar and go back and forth and see what the same style looks like on a very willowy model with and without a bump. I mean, I think that whether it works hinges on whether these pieces make you look pregnant when you aren't, which like obviously given that I've come to it when I am pregnant remains to be seen, but hopefully it'll work and then I'll have, you know, discovered a couple new jumpsuits and a great dress. What's the, um, what's the general price point of their dresses? That's the other thing is that it, it is more expensive than most maternity wear. Like it's around 300 pounds for a dress. So it's definitely more in line with the contemporary market. But then again, it's sort of more justifiable if you think, well, I'm not just yeah. going to wear this when I'm pregnant. Who yeah. would do that? Well, also <laughs> the shopping sustainably kind of movement that we're all maybe becoming a bit more aware of what we're buying, how much we're buying, how much we're sending off to landfill. It really appeals to have something that you won't kind of just either keep in your wardrobe or, you know, end up giving to a friend who's having a baby, but you'll actually wear and enjoy afterwards. And also there's the 
spending money on something that you actually want rather than something that will just fit. Yeah, totally. And actually, I'm not pregnant, but I do love Emily's dress, so I might be looking that up afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is fun to find something that you think, I would like this even if I wasn't pregnant. I'm not at all making a concession yeah, totally. in wearing it. So thanks, Sonia. Feel totally. free to copy away. <laughs> How did you stay stylish during your pregnancy? How did you, I mean, let's let's lower the bar. How did you feel like yourself? Please tell us. Email your thoughts on maternity style to unzipped at telegraph.co.uk and we'll read out a selection of the best of the emails on the podcast next week. For more on this and other stories, of course, please read the paper and visit telegraph.co.uk slash fashion. We've nearly reached the end of the episode, but before we sign off, it's time to go around the table and share what we're excited about this week. Sonia, you want to start us off? So I'm very late to the party, but I've just started watching The Handmaid's Tale. Oh, like... you took mine. <laughs> oh, no. It's okay. Are you, on, are you on season one or season two? Season one. Oh, it's so good. I've not even watched it, guys. We're a room oh. full of Handmaid's Virgins over here. It's... Ironically. <laughs> no, I'm already have, on season two. I'm, I'm second book, time around. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. Fine. But <laughs> I feel like I started watching it when it first came out and, and just didn't give it enough attention. Um but I watched um, over the weekend sort of the first few episodes of season one and I'm completely gripped. Love it. I love Elizabeth Moss in it as well. I think she's fantastic. Um, so that's become, that's, I'm just looking forward to watching more episodes of that, especially if the rain continues. Who's going to be heading outside? Oh, Not me. <laughs> it is It is brilliant. And I, I have to say though, the first episode of the second season is harrowing. I mean, I, I watched most of it kind of, with both hands in front of my face, like sometimes behind a pillow, like plugging my ears because it's it's quite violent. So I'm sort of working up to the next episode. I've, I've read some really mixed reviews, actually. Um, I mean, I haven't watched either season, but I've I've read the book. Um, and this, the second series, I think, goes past what happens in the book, right? But, it does. But yeah. Margaret Atwood's still really heavily involved in the storyline. So, uh, you know, I'm interested to see where they go with it. A lot of people have said it's a bit gratuitous. The, the amount of violence towards women that's that's on the screen in that. I'm that hoping that we get past that in the second or third episode because enough already. We get it. Gilead sucks. I mean, I'm also looking forward to Amazon Prime Video has just done a new adaptation of Picnic at Hanging Rock, Ooh, which amazing. is one of the most cited films by fashion designers. I'm making this up, but in the history of films cited by fashion designers. And this one stars Natalie Dormer. And uh, based on the stills that I've seen, it promises lots of gorgeous, you know, ethereal period drama fashion. So hopefully um, if, if Handmaid's Tale gets to be too much, there's still Picnic at Hanging Rock. Well, Maybe you should alternate. I think, well, I mean, last <laughs> night I did watch Modern Family instead of oh, yeah. um, Handmaid's Tale. I just couldn't really work up the... It's the bravery. It's full on, isn't it? Like, it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's a commitment. Only so many style references you can take from The Handmaid's Tale. Exactly. It's you know, very limited. Once you've got that puritanical kind of wimple dressing down, like, where do you go? Well, I did start to think, hmm, that's an interesting shade of paint in the hallway. Maybe I can like <laughs> add that to my mood board. Ooh, okay. Yeah. Always down for some interiors inspiration. Definitely. What about you, Charlie? Um, well, having said that about the big lunches, I'm in for a big dinner tonight. Um, I'm going to the new shop at Bluebird in Covent Garden. Oh, lovely. Um, so I'm very excited about this. I haven't been to see the shop yet. Bluebird have some great designers, but the original store's on the King's Road and I live in Highbury. So I do not get over there as often as I would like. So I'm very excited that there's going to be one in Covent Garden and that they're going to feed me, mainly. 
Uh, so I'll report have back. You, have you had a look at the menu beforehand? I haven't. No, I, I quite like to be surprised. Ooh. Oh, it's always good there. <laughs> yeah. You'll have a great time. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks so much for being part of this episode. And please do come back next week for another installment of Fashion Unzipped. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.